The text for the message this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. We'll uh, read that, but I'll just read the verses before that as well. Starting at verse 1, it's on page 995, the Pew Bible. So begins Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that, for, that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And the text begins, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus, our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Am I, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, ten days after our Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, he poured out the Holy Spirit upon his church. And today on Pentecost, we commemorate that redemptive work. In a completely new work of God that came as a result of Christ's victory over death and the grave, the same Holy Spirit who had been hovering over the universe at its creation, who renews the faith of the earth in his providential care, that's Psalm 104, who inspired the writers of the Holy Scriptures, who equipped and anointed the prophets and the priests and the kings of the Old Testament, who worked faith in the hearts of God's children, that same Holy Spirit has now come to dwell in the hearts of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. This amazing grace and gift of God for all believers ever since Pentecost 
is actually the starting point for all of Paul's instruction in our text today. And you see that he says that in verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. We have God dwelling in us. God the Holy Spirit dwells right inside us. And the same Holy Spirit appoints overseers to care for the church of God. We can read that in Acts 20, verse 28, that it's the Holy Spirit who appoints overseers in our midst as the Holy Spirit then is, is guiding us in the redemption, the redeemed life that we have in Jesus Christ. So shortly before he was martyred for his faith, the Apostle Paul exhorted Timothy, who was going to carry on the teaching, to trust in the Holy Spirit's work in, in his task as an office bearer. And so we, we read in, in verse 6 and 7 of, of the gift. That gift is, the in the Greek word, it's charisma. It's related to the, the Greek word that means grace, charis. Paul refers to this gift which is given to Timothy through the laying on of hands. And so we see that, that flame of Pentecost was seen on the, on the heads of, of believers now is, is referred to as something that the Holy Spirit puts inside those who want to follow Jesus Christ. And there's a very close connection between the ordination this, this morning and the fact that it's, it's Pentecost Sunday. And as we all share in that task of guarding the good deposit, which is the gospel, we see how the Holy Spirit helps each one of us in this task. We all desire the same things. We all desire to guard that good deposit. And although not every one of us here is, is called to be an office bearer in this task, we yet share in the responsibility. We pray with the apostles that God's ordained servants may be faithful in our midst and guide us by the Holy Spirit in our task. And I preach you this gospel. The Holy Spirit enables the church to guard the good deposit. And he does this through the flame in overseers and the pattern of sound words. It's a very unique point in time in the history of God's work. The apostle's in prison. He's about to die. And the work has to continue. And he writes a, a letter to one of these evangelists who will continue that work. It's Timothy. And then we read in verse 6, he says, Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And that instruction, those words reveal that Paul's laying on of hands was the means by which the gift of God's grace was bestowed. 1 Timothy 4 verse 14 seems to indicate that Paul was accompanied by the council of elders in laying on of hands. And then if you look at chapter 1 verses 18 and 19, Timothy was given the charge to wage the good warfare to hold on to the faith. And when that, he received that charge and he, the, the hands were, were laid upon him, there were also prophecies that were explaining God's will 
for Timothy's service in the church. And you can read about that in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, and also 4, verse 14. Now, if these prophecies were similar to the ones that Paul received that you can read about in Acts 9 or Acts 22, they would have singled out Timothy for the service in God's kingdom. Would have named him as one to serve in a special role in God's kingdom. They were prophecies that would have summarized his duties, predicted his suffering, and strengthened him with the promise of divine help in times of need. All this was part of the giving of the charge, the ordination, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And along with that charge and that mandate at his ordination, that's often referred to as the external calling, we read in our text that God transferred a gift into Timothy. Now there have been many explanations about what this gift was and what it would be like if people were to receive this special grace today. And whether or not the gift actually refers to someone being charismatic in the English sense of the word. But the context of 1 and 2 Timothy connects the gift mentioned in our text to the charge that the office bearers received. They had to be devoted to the public reading and exhortation and and teaching of Scripture And then more specifically in chapter 3, we see of some of the tasks that these men were called to do. And so that gift is related to verse 7, the spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Now if we look at verse 7, you see that it talks about, it uses the word spirit. Now in the original language, that could be either capitalized to refer to the third person of the Trinity, or it could be kept in lowercase to indicate that the gift of God is a position or an attitude within the the men who were serving. But whether we have it capitalized, as some translations do, or, or not, the apostle is being very clear that this gift is something that God does in the men He ordains. There is a connection between the Holy Spirit's appointment to spiritual leadership positions and the Holy Spirit's equipping for leadership positions with power and love and self-control. The flame at the heart of serving as a successful overseer and deacon is the flame of, of power and love and self-control. If consistories decided to have mottos and, and have it on their, on their letterhead, a letter from the consistory, they, a motto or, or a statement would be power and love and self-control. We wore t-shirts indicating what we were doing. It would be saying power, love, and self-control. It's a, it's a work related to the office. It's a work not limited to the office but certainly given to those who lead. Now the spirit of power, the word dynamite comes from this word. It reminds us of of the, the power that God gives to the leaders of the church. Acts 1 verse 8, the display text says, you will receive power from on high to be his witnesses. 
Reminds us of the power that the Lord Jesus gave when he gave the keys of the kingdom to the leaders of the church. It speaks of their authority to oversee the church under their care by upholding justice and defending the truth. It speaks of the power to be able to do their task from God, even in the midst of the most intense suffering. You see that use of the word power in verse 8. Stand firm by the power of God. And just as God equipped His Son, Jesus Christ, to, with the power to persevere in the midst of most bitter suffering, and He, he gave the apostles His power to be His witnesses, so also today God's servants can count on the power of God to help them as they faithfully carry out their task. If we look at Hebrews 10, you have the exhortation in verse 32 and following, do not shrink back from hardships and reproach and affliction. Very clear connection between the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit of power. Now that Spirit of power that complements the mantle of authority given to those who are ordained as overseers is kept in check with the, the next gift, we could say, the, the spirit of love, authority, power of God, and beside that, self-sacrificial love. That's a love that always places others before ourselves. Now, if you have one equipped by the God, the Holy Spirit, with power to serve. You see, it's a, a very beautiful gift of God for God's people. We were commanded to love as Christ loved. He first loved us and gave himself up for us. It's committing all the power you receive to the service of God's people. And then the spirit of self-control or self-discipline from God. Very closely related to the effectiveness of the power, the spirit of power and the willingness to sacrifice our own desire out of love for our, our neighbor. The spirit of self-control is a, is a spirit that leads a person to pursue holiness before God and our neighbor. We read about that in 1 Timothy 4. And Paul is saying training in godliness is of the utmost importance because people can claim authority and they can even feel love, but if they are not self-controlled in their conduct, it greatly undermines their work. The spirit of self-control gives credibility to the men whom God has ordained to serve. It's a clear testimony of their desire to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, to, to, to be leaders also in how we live, how we bring Christ's power to our situation, his love, and also his holiness. Now Paul's command to Timothy is to fan this gift into a flame. That makes it clear that it's possible to have been equipped with God for our tasks with the grace, the charis, the gift we need, and yet sometimes grow careless and even neglect these gifts. You can read about that in 1 Timothy 4.14. 1 
From the different exhortations of Paul in the letters, it appears that Timothy, who was younger than Paul, was probably a a timid person that struggled with a tendency to the sin of fear and cowardice. And the situation did not make it easy for such a person. Paul and Peter had been arrested and, and others had been killed on account of their faith. There was a constant exposure to public reproach. False teachers uh, appeared to be immovable and very strong. Timothy was commanded to, to lead the faithful believers by sharing in suffering for the gospel without being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of Paul who was at that time in chains in prison. Facing such a calling and a command, Paul's explanation is cutting. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity, a spirit of cowardice. Fear is not an attitude that becomes an office bearer. God did not give you a spirit of avoiding tough situations. Now, if you struggle with this, and, and I think we all do, remember those words of the apostle to Timothy. Remember that God has equipped you for your task. and Pray that God may help you to continually fan that gift that God has given into a flame. And as we read this, as we think about Timothy, it's a long time ago, we also realize how God is talking to us today. We know what that's like, the temptation to fear and cowardice and timidity. We think of standing up for life in the public sphere. We're afraid of the harshly critical and judgmental reproach we can be sure to expect. If someone praises uh, an emperor for for getting rid of the scourge of missionaries, we hesitate to stand up in defense. We understand Timothy's hesitation cost us could cost us our lives or a university professor ridicules Christ and we find it difficult to to share in Paul's suffering for for the gospel by the power of God we we find it difficult to just trust that God will give us the power to say what is right you know what sadly This ridicule, this mockery, and this public reproach against Christians can sometimes also be directed against the office bearers in a local congregation that God has placed over us and that Christ equips with gifts to guide us as a congregation in the the way that we we should go. We can tell stories, we could tell stories, you can, you can even ask of how office bearers, even in this own congregation, have been ridiculed with eye rolls. These guys think they know everything. They have been named, called names. There have been shown a lack of respect, a lack of seeing the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ guiding us through weak men, for sure. But Jesus Christ, and when you hear that as an office bearer, it's extremely disappointing. You just feel like giving up. Like, why bother? They don't care. They don't understand. Moses had that. Jeremiah had that. Paul had that. Timothy had that. We have that. That's why Paul urges God's people in another place to respect the office bearers because of their 
office. They have to give account to God for their work. It's not always easy, but it's God who calls them to the task. And there's also a reason that Paul urges Timothy to don't, not to gripe and complain and moan and self-pity. He says, fan into flame the gift I have given you. Fan into flame the gift that I have given you for this task. Focus on your task to the glory of God. Watch over yourselves. Watch over the flock of God that is in your care. They are a flock. God did not give us a spirit of timidity and fear and cowardice, but grace and a spirit, power and love, self-sacrificial love and self-control. As we consider the the special gift that God gives to the office bearers, and we we listen as congregation, we might think, yeah, that's beautiful for them. But when we keep reading in the New Testament, we see other things that that Paul has, has written. He actually makes it clear that we all have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the, the blessing of Pentecost. We all have flames. If you open your Bibles and you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 7. I'll read that here a moment. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7. It says here, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. It's saying the same principle here, brothers and sisters. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then it continues on with more description of that. Or if you think of Romans chapter 12, verse 6 again. Having gifts that differ according to the grace, charis, given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, and, and it continues. Whether it's preaching, service, teaching, exhortation, contributing, leading, or doing acts of mercy, God has given every one of us gifts to serve the well-being of God's people. And, and he says, don't underemploy your gifts. Don't, don't ignore the gifts that God has given. Fan them into a flame so that together God's name may be glorified. And so we, we think about this as office bearers. We think, what are the gifts that God has given us for this task? And we think about this as congregation. What gifts has God given to me for the glory of God and the edification of the church? That's an important question because it leads to the well-being of God's church. And then you notice that Paul isn't too concerned, as, even as he's lying in prison about to die, he's not too concerned about the sensitivities of the individuals in service. But he's focused on the goal that we're called to. Every one of us is called to that deposit that has been entrusted in our care with the church. And then we see that he speaks in our text also about the sound words. And we look at this quickly as well, that after commanding the Timothy to fan the gift of God into a flame, which would, he would help him to share in suffering without cowardice, the, the apostle directs Timothy's attention to the object of their common faith, which is the testimony about our Lord, the gospel. And then this gospel is summarized, and I think we can agree that it's, it's one of the most beautiful and succinct 
statements of Scripture, the summary summarizing the gospel. It's indented in some versions, verses 9 and 10, to show that it has a, a hymnic or a confessional quality. Maybe it was something that Paul wrote as one of the earliest confessions or creeds. Maybe it was one that was already in the church that he, he referred to. But we, we read it together. God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's the revelation of how God elected us out of mere grace before the foundation of the world in order that in time He might save us from death through Christ who appeared in the, the promise and the fulfillment to believers in the Old and New Testament so that we might have eternal life through Him. And as you unpack it, you see the, the depth of the testimony of our Lord. God declares that Christ destroys the fear of death. He has called us because of His own purpose and grace so that we might be holy in our walk with God. And then He equips us with office bearers that can help us in that holy life. Even though our bodies might die, those who believe in Jesus Christ remain with Him. And so Paul again returns to that promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus that we read in verse 1. And as Paul explains the importance of preserving this teaching and ensuring that it's passed on to the next generation, he refers to that gospel message as the good deposit. The gospel is something that he was entrusted with or something that he entrusted with someone else. There's some ambiguity on the words, but it's considered a package that was given for safekeeping and also given to Timothy for safekeeping. That word deposit helps us to understand our task with respect to that gospel message for it refers to the action of entrusting something to another person so that they might guard it and keep it safe by watching over it. And then he gives that task to, to all of us. So to help us think about it, think about your own situation. You deposit your children with your babysitter so that they might be kept safe for a while. The babysitter receives the, the deposit they need to take care of those children so that when you come back, they're there. Or you might deposit your valuable jewels in a, in a safe before you die so that they might be kept safe until the next generation takes them out. Or as children, you might deposit something very special in a, in a special hiding place so that later you can come and you can take it out and enjoy it. Well, Paul explains that before he entrusted the gospel with Timothy to be guarded by them, he first entrusted it to the Lord. Very interesting. God did this. God has the message. And Paul, knowing it needs to be preserved, he, he entrusts it to the Lord, whom he knew would guard it through all ages until his return. Paul knew he didn't need to trust men 
to guard the good deposit, the gospel teaching. It was always with God who is from the beginning to the end. And so Paul then knew that as he passed it to Timothy, he said, Timothy, keep proclaiming this. Keep ensuring that the churches know of this. He says you're going to only be able to do that by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And so we again understand we have tasks as believers receiving the Holy Spirit. We have tasks as office bearers. But really we entrust ourselves, we entrust the gospel, we entrust the future into the hands of God Almighty. Into the hands of the Holy Spirit. And as we think about that, there's a, there's a, a warning that comes. Be, beware of what's called practical deism. That means deism is saying that, that God is far away and he leaves it all up to us to, to work out. And if we do that in practice, we say, well, I'm an office bearer. I need to do everything. Or I'm a Christian. I need to do everything. And we forget that really it's the Holy Spirit that does everything. No man would dare to stand here and preach if he did not believe that it was the Holy Spirit himself that did the work. And so it is in this context of the Holy Spirit working that Paul says, now follow the pattern of sound words that you heard from me. God is doing his work and you see it by Christians holding on to the pattern. The pattern's an example. Timothy said, Paul says, this is what it looks like. Now hold on to that picture and follow it. Use it as a, as a drawing to also guide you in your battle against evil. It's a pattern of clothing. It's a, it's a pattern of instruction. It's a pattern of attitude. It's a pattern of response. It's a pattern of giving all glory to, to God. And as we keep going through this letter together, we'll, we'll see that pattern and how it shapes our lives. And the Holy Spirit who dwells in us will help us to see that pattern and to, to walk in it. For the scriptures we hold in our hand were indeed inspired by Him. And He who dwells in our hearts will also guide us in them. The so brothers and sisters, you receive the Spirit to guard the good deposit, the gospel, and to lead one another, encourage one another in holy living. And the Lord has set office bearers uh, to lead us in this work, equipped with the spirit of power and love and self-discipline. It's our prayer that the flame may shine brightly in you brothers as you carry out your task together with the other office bearers so that we always have that pattern of sound teaching. We're here because we want the gospel before us. Every day, every Sunday, every time we get visited, every time we get encouraged, we want that testimony of our Lord. It's the only hope, the only comfort in this life. He abolished death. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Praise Him. Amen.